Well, welcome to another episode of Ed Stetzer Live. We're so glad to have this conversation. And you're listening to this after American Thanksgiving. And I say American Thanksgiving because I've been living in the UK, but I've come back for American Thanksgiving. Get to be with my family. Get to have non-turkey. We're not like turkey. Listen, you can you can set yourself free from the from the requirement of having turkey for Thanksgiving. There are better foods to have on Thanksgiving. I just lost most of my audience, but that's okay. So Ed Stetzer here, Ed Stetzer Live. I'm the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center for this fall, autumn as they call it. I've been living in the UK, uh, serving and teaching at Oxford University. Back here, actually, to a fun fact, we're going to talk obviously today about Thanksgiving, not just being thankful, but we'll talk some about the holiday itself. So just, what was that, like a week ago, I was in Plymouth, like Plymouth, England, and you go down to the docks, the the kind of the wharf, I guess. And there it is. There, they literally have what are called the Mayflower Steps. And so it turns out that it really did happen. People really did leave, made their way across these, these English families, now known today, we call them the Pilgrims, uh, in 1620. They spent 10 weeks at sea, um, and uh, well, we'll we'll get to talk about those things. We're going to talk about that. But it was it was fascinating to be there. They actually have well, they have the steps that they. I don't think technically. I mean, it was the 1600s, so I think it's probably rebuilt. I think they even said that in the sign. But it's uh, when we went there, you could actually see they have the U.S. and they have the English or the the U.K. flag, the England. No, it was the England flag. Uh, both there. And uh, and from there they went, but that story itself is even complicated. They there was a there was a reason they were there. They tried, they came back, they had to come back. Anyway, it's a long story. We won't go into all these things, but we will. We have some great conversation coming today about this topic. My guest is actually a colleague of mine, Dr. Andrew McDonald, and we. I should say too that we're pre-taping this, so so Andrew and I are actually right now in the studio at um, at Billy Graham Hall. Uh, we got. Um, we're, we're walking through this topics together, so we won't be taking your phone call, well, your phone calls. But uh, so Andrew works on our team at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center right now as the interim associate director. He's also been the associate director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center Research Institute and uh, taught some here history uh, at Wheaton College. His PhD is in history, so we have well, we, we kind of call an historian on days like this. That's what we do: is we call an historian. So questions, we're going to start right. Andrew, first, welcome to the program. Thanks very much for having me. Well, glad to do it. So the Pilgrims, well, we got Pilgrims, we got um, Puritans, we got, we got, we'd have explanations, we got Thanksgiving. Um, But let's start with that. The Pilgrims celebration of the first Thanksgiving is kind of, I mean, if there's anything that still today, we've got Christmas, we got Easter, maybe Mother's Day, a third holy holiday, (laughs) but... um, but the you know the this Thanksgiving, a lot of Christians, I think rightfully so, see this moment as a reminder of our faith. It's got a lot of roots in faith. Tell us a little bit about how this all connects to our national and spiritual identity. Yeah, well, first, I have to at least defend Thanksgiving food here because as a recent convert to stuffing, I have to say there's nothing greater. There's no greater gift that God has given to us than outside of his son, which is stuffing. Well, you know that you can actually have stuffing without the turkey. Oh, that's just blasphemy. That's a, it's, well, that escalated quickly. Okay. If, you, if you look closely in the in the uh, appendix to the Nicene Creed, there's something in there about stuffing. Okay. Uh, I don't know exactly. I'll have to call somebody else in for that one. But you're right. You're right. Thanksgiving has such a 
deep connection to our national and spiritual identity as uh, like uh, the American people, our American history. And like so pieces of like so many pieces of American life, Thanksgiving has many rebirths across our history. So at various points, the holiday has meant various things to different people. We can point to its initial kind of the years of its founding in the the, the pilgrims in the eight, uh, 17th and the 18th century means very di- very different from where we are today. And so when we look at it, Thanksgiving truly is the quintessential American holiday. And I think about this in terms of three kind of broader aspects why. So first, it interweaves our history, particularly like the founding history. Uh, founding myths are really powerful. How we got here, our basis, where we came from. And at their best, founding narratives not only teach us about ourselves, but they invite others into the process. Pilgrims have captured an important part of American imagination, I believe at least, because they stand at this cross-section of the old and the new. They were English, Protestant, white, and traditional in their hierarchy, yet at the same time they were immigrants fleeing religious persecution, they were innovative, and they possessed this indomitable, indomitable spirit that we associate with kind of American identity. And in that way, they kind of invite people in. It resonates with people, especially with immigrants who have come to this country. And as an immigrant myself, that's something Which we that haven't re- even gotten to that because uh, you're not, you're talking about all this American well, stuff, but you're- I'm actually Canadian, Canadian and I have pages of notes for us to get into the Canadian Thanksgiving after mm. we're done here. So nice. I'm ready. I'm ready and able to talk about Martin Fobisher's journey and Samuel de Champlain. Um, but I don't, I don't even know who those people are. So those are Canadians. Oh yes, of okay, course. Okay, well, I mean, okay. the, of course. He says. Well, let's get into it. Let's talk. Let's spend the next hour okay. on Canadian Thanksgiving instead. Okay. No, we're not going to do that because <laughs> it's American Thanksgiving, and and this is America, and you are here, uh, and we're glad you're here. You married an American. I married a Canadian, and my my daughter's Canadian, and and more. So, all right. So let's let's talk some about then this. Let's go back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. So they, we all know the Mayflower. So the Mayflower is going to be part of this reality. We know these were religious people. They were fleeing uh, some form of a persecution. So, uh, and then we get to the first Thanksgiving. Now, I was watching recently, and I forget what it was, but you know, one of these programs kind of retelling the Thanksgiving story, and uh, and it just. You know, I think in this case, I remember that the pilgrims sat down and thanked the Indians for mm-hmm. for dinner. And I think the kind of de-Christianized the story and, and we would, you know, we acknowledge Native America's presence. There's a lot there. So how much of the story we know is fact and how much is it sort of like made up? Yeah, I think that depends a little bit on kind of which story we're talking about here. I think in recent years, uh, people have actually been getting a lot better at telling a more historically accurate story, which I think is is good. I, I think that the myth serves an important piece in our history as well. But I mean, my little daughter is in grade one. This was the first year that she was able to experience kind of the Thanksgiving story. And I was actually really impressed with how her teacher unpacked what can be a very uh, controversial and difficult subject in terms of the history of Thanksgiving. Okay, so controversial in, I mean, like parts of it, I don't know, I, for me, I, I don't know, I, I particularly don't feel and walk into the fullness of a controversy here. So so what would be some of the aspects that you might say that as your teacher, your first grade, you know, not your first grade, your daughter's first grade class, what did your teacher sort of explain you thought articulated it well, and what are some of the controversies around it? Well, well, I think the first part is to recognize that 
the history of, of actually landing on Plymouth Rock in December of 1620 and a lot of the difficulties and challenges that the pilgrims encountered. I mean, they, over the course of their first few months here and encountering uh, the winter that they had, they were very ill-prepared for it. It didn't go well. Yeah. And they lost over half of the people who landed on Plymouth right. Rock died. And, I mean, encountering that difficulty that they went through is really important. It's not. It wasn't as easy as there wasn't picnic tables set up for them when they got here to be able to have this amazing feast. They were so you prepared. Said, so you said half died? Over half wow. the people wow. died within wow. the first year. See, I of, focus on, I have a friend of mine, his name is Joe Hopkins, he's the president of a Christian university. His great-great-great-great-great-grandmother was Oceana Hopkins, the only person born on, I think that's right, the only person born on the Mayflower. But so this comes, and there's uh, tragedy. They come, they were supposed to come in October, but there was difficulties getting there. They, they started out, had to come back. I mean, there's all, I didn't know all these things until, you know, just go into, you can, the story's kind of told on the side of that thing there at, uh, at the, at the, at, at Plymouth there as well. Okay. So they get there, uh, they, they have... Well, keep telling us. Keep telling us the story. What's what's the true parts? What's the not true parts? So they they get to they land on Plymouth, uh, and they they again they lose over half of their people. And part of this is just the basic nature of. I mean, you know what New England weather is like. Buffalo mm-hmm. just got uh, Buffalo is not technically in New England, but close there. Got six feet of snow recently. Imagine landing there completely ill prepared for it. And in fact, a lot of the crops that they had brought over with them weren't suited for North American. Yeah, because because England is and Holland before that. That's a much milder climate than where they're it going is. to. Yeah. And so, in fact, actually, when they do wind up planting corn and, and other uh, crops, it, most of that actually came from finding ca- uh, crop stores of Native Americans right. that they took with kind of a we'll pay you back later mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, but they actually the, – so even though over half of them die uh, in the first little bit of being here, they still press on and they're able to establish a little bit of a beachhead. They send back the Mayflower in the spring. It doesn't go well. English creditors kind of call them out for what they believe is – stealing their money. It's really not going well. And so you get to 1621, the fall of 1621, and this is when the first Thanksgiving is reportedly has, has happened. But the the honest truth is that we don't really know very much about what happened. And most of what we know comes from 115 words from Edward Winslow writing an account of this first Thanksgiving, which is 150 words, not very much. Mm. And so we don't know very much about what actually happened in the first Thanksgiving. What we do know is that, uh, as, as Winslow talks about, he says, our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fouling that so we might after a special manner rejoice together. And after on we fouling. Fouling, fa- uh, hunting. Right, for, hunting for, for fowl. Wow. Okay. And and so they, they actually eat birds. And after we had gathered but, together but the not, fruits of our labor. But not turkey? Well... Maybe, maybe I, not. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Um, so again, turkey gets very connected in the American's mind. Yes. But 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 again, not mentioned in that first 150 words. Um, and so, okay, so we've got about a minute left. Um, so the some of the romanticized things would be what? Did they wear the, they didn't, the, those amazing hats? We don't know. I mean, well, a lot of them we don't know. Some of the romanticizing is the relationship of Native Americans to this. Sure. And so in the typical de- depiction of it, it seems like it's very... Uh, peaceable in- engagement. It seems like it's the beginning of diplomatic relationships. And in Winslow's account, we actually do hear that he says that many of the Indians coming amongst us and amongst the rest of the greatest kings of the Masoat with uh, some 90 men whom for three days we entertained and feasted. So Native Americans were there at this kind of celebration. But why they were, what this meant, mm-hmm. its broader implications, 
that's often left out of the story. And so sometimes, especially from the Native American perspective, this story is used to paper over a lot of the difficulties, a lot of the atrocities that happened amongst the Native American population with the, the settlement of uh, the pilgrims at Plymouth. And so when you have that twin piece of tension of, of covering over and happy relations, that's where the myth gets dangerous. Fascinating. Okay, good. We're going to have more conversation. Andrew McDonald's my guest. Uh, he's uh, here, works with us at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, a historian, uh, PhD, and focused on church history, which we're going to address just a little bit later on. You're listening to Ed Stetzer Live. I'm Ed Stetzer. We are actually pre-recording this because we're having some time off with our families to celebrate the great American holiday. <laughs> Not the Canadian holiday, which is in October, uh, but the American holiday of Thanksgiving. So I think you'll find a lot of our conversation here interesting. We're going to talk more about, well, giving thanks, thankfulness, and more. So stay with us as we continue our conversation about Thanksgiving here on this Thanksgiving weekend. Hey, we're back. We're continuing our conversation. This is Ed Stetzer Live. We're having a really fun and fascinating conversation about the well, about Thanksgiving. Not shockingly, it's it's American Thanksgiving. Um, I, I, a little con- contrast here, just a little knowledge. So you've got these these uh, pilgrims, and the pilgrims are not the same as the Puritans, though they're kind of related. So so the pilgrims. Uh, well, let's contrast with the Puritans. The Puritans were trying to purify the Church of England. And the pilgrims are like, nope, we're separating. Or they, this, it can't be fixed. It can't be redeemed. So the pilgrims decide to set out for a new, what they actually saw as the, the new promised land by establishing a colony uh, named after the same place they came from the Plymouth colony. Now, what's fascinating is, is actually uh, they, this, this voyage, we Plymouth in there in the UK, I mean, they actually, there's a connection to Holland beforehand. They're trying to get, it's it just, they're, they're fleeing persecution. They want to practice religious freedom, all these sorts of things. And eventually, uh, they, they actually set out and they have to come back. There's a leak. They come back. So, the, the, so we, what we think of as they left Plymouth, which is this, you know, harbor in the UK, there's a whole lot more before that. But, you know, for us as Americans, we know Plymouth Rock is where they end up. They leave Plymouth, England. But there's a complex religious reality. These folks here are are, are wanting religious freedom and more. Now, um, a big part of that is they come, they set out this 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 compact. But a big part of that is is that they're seeking to give thanks. And so, you know, for a whole lot of people, um, even people who are maybe not normally religious. They probably gave thanks at Thanksgiving time. I come from a family that's mostly made up of non-Christians, and and this may be the one time of the year uh, that even with our family where people would say, you know, people who wouldn't call themselves Christians would say, let's take a moment and give thanks. Maybe they bow their head. Maybe they, you know, I, I you know, I'm that father who goes around the table and says to the kids, all right, you have to each share something you're thankful for. So let's talk about that because Thanksgiving is 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 so central to the holiday to the pilgrims giving thanks. How is that important for Christians to remember? Well, I think, first off, there are, part of the reason why the pilgrims are so attached to Thanksgiving, that's not always been the case. 
uh, going back further, the longest celebration for the holiday of the pilgrims had been Forefathers Day, which is December 21st, 22nd, depending upon where you were. It wasn't until you get into the 19th century that the pilgrims are really associated with Thanksgiving, and then that really takes root into the 1920s and 30s. But that doesn't mean that Thanksgiving that gratitude, community, that those values weren't dead central to the pilgrim story. And in fact, if we want to go back to Edward Winslow and that 115 words that we have about the first Thanksgiving, notice the way that he ends that. He says, and although it has not been so plentiful, remember, over half the people have died not been in the so last plentiful. year. Wow. So he says, and although it has not been always so plentiful as it was at the time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. Mm. And so that's such a, a, a great window. And when I think about that, the, the thing that comes to mind is Paul speaking to the Philippians in Philippians 1. When Paul's in jail and he's talking about his joy in the Philippians. This is a guy who's in jail, being persecuted, being abandoned, and he's talking about his joy in the Philippians. And so when we talk about Thanksgiving at the dead heart of it, you're right, is this idea of gratitude, is this idea of giving thanks for what we have. And we have two clear examples here, first in Winslow, in the example of the first Thanksgiving, as well as Paul in Philippians, of what it truly means to give thanks. And when I think about this, Paul gives us this great example here, and he, he gives us four big pieces of what it means to give thanks. In Philippians, he says, First, his love for the Philippians, that he sees their progression. His love for the lost, he sees the imperial guard, people who weren't supposed to come to faith. And he sees his love for the misguided, even the people who are persecuting him. He's still giving thanks for them because they're proclaiming Christ. And his love for Christ, the idea that what we have is imperishable. And so right there, Paul gives us four basic pieces for how to give thanks. And when we're looking at the first Thanksgiving, we see these people who didn't have anything, and yet we're still able to give thanks out of the plenty that they had. And so the big piece for us as we're looking at this story is we're trying to understand how Thanksgiving is connected to the story. What was their plenty? What was? It certainly wasn't material goods. It certainly wasn't the success of the settlement. So what was their plenty? What was Winslow meaning when he said that? And, and for him, when we look back on this as a church historian, I would say that a big part of it was their faith. The idea that what they were doing was what they believed God had called them to do. And that was what was giving them their joy, their goodness, their plenty in the midst of really unspeakable hardship. Their plenty. I mean, I like that. I like the, I, the, the this letter, uh, the 1621 letter that he writes is really fascinating. And and uh, and again, I, I like the, the phrase, although it not be always so plentiful, as it was at this time with us. So it does sort of recognize the yep. bad winter that they went through. And I just can't imagine uh, the stunning... I mean, they were, they, were, they were actually planning to go to Virginia, and then there were winds and some other reasons, and then they end up in... And again, I, we, have, we have listeners in... We have, um, we have listeners in New Hampshire, Vermont, Boston. It's not the most hospitable place mm-hmm. if you don't have the preparation. You know, we moved to Chicago from Nashville... We had to buy some big coats. Well, they didn't bring that. They they were, were going to take that 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 trip all the way down to Virginia, uh, where prior colonists had been, and establish that place. Um, but it is fascinating. It goes uh, always. It is not always so plentiful as it was with at this time with us. Yet, by the goodness of God, a reminder that for all of us, we can thank God's goodness even in the difficult times. He says we are so far from want 
that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. The Lord supplies, provides, and they are acknowledging that as well. But the reality is, you know, I mean, Andrew, that's not, it's not, I mean, this, when I think of Thanksgiving from, th- you know, it's a little different, you know, and I want, I want you, so can, can it, can, we, you got to tell us a little bit Canada. So my daughter lives in the, in the, in the great white north up there in Toronto. That's, you're from the Toronto area. Um, Canadians have Thanksgiving, but they do it at the wrong time. But it's probably the right time. Oh, I, I would say it's definitely. I mean, the trees are beautiful. It actually is harvest season. So that's the of... difference, right? So, so it's supposed to be harvest season. And do we know? Did the, I mean? Because because again, the the timing of this Thanksgiving. So the Canadian Thanksgiving is tar- targeted around harvest. What do you do in Canada for this Thanksgiving? Well, I mean, so there's there's a whole history of, of uh, Canadian Thanksgiving that's connected in some ways to the British uh, celebration of Thanksgiving. But, I mean, at the basic, most Christian, I mean, what I was taught uh, growing up in school was that it to, was to commemorate Martin Fobisher and his crew uh, sailing down and discovering North America in 1578. But, I mean, more likely is the founding of New France by Samuel de Champlain in 1606, um, Champlain, Cartier are the kind of the two founders of Canada through New France. And so that's kind of how it's celebrated. That isn't a big part of the celebration. History isn't as connected to the celebration of Thanksgiving in Canada. Because you don't have a you don't have the pilgrims. You need the pilgrims. I know. A, a Samuel de Champlain, not as compelling as the pilgrims. Um, not, not as that place. There's a rock. This I, is America. Probably something to do with being um, from France instead of from England. <laughs> there's uh, there's a deeper connection there. Um, but you're you're right. And so it wasn't really proclaimed in Canada until the mid 19th century. And on Honestly, it wasn't a big part of Canadian culture only because uh, it, it became big because of how popular American Thanksgiving became. Oh, is that in right? The 19th so, the, century. so the Canadians sort of um, kind of took on the theme because of the American thing. So, so American Thanksgiving explodes in popularity right. in the 19th century. I mean, part of this happens in in the 1820s and 30s with some of the. Uh, it's not associated with the Pilgrims. It's just associated with giving thanks and. Uh, but by the time that Lincoln announces a proclamation establishing uh, the holiday as a national holiday in 1863, it's incredibly popular. Uh, Harper's Weekly is publishing regular uh, annual uh, pictures of, of Thanksgiving, and it's such a deep part of the American tradition at this part um, that, yes, I, I think that in some ways the Canadians looked at that and said, we got to get some of that for us. <laughs> And that's good because we we want. I mean, the great thing with my family is that means you have like two things. You know, we have the Canadian Thanksgiving because my daughter celebrates that as well. So there's actually some. The date question has actually been pretty. Uh, I don't know if you for in in nerd town among historians have been pretty big deal. <laughs> um, so for example, the uh, we don't really know the date of the first Thanksgiving. We just know it was in fall or autumn, yep. sometime between September and November. Uh, but then we have the Lincoln Proclamation, and then there was a season that there were two Thanksgivings that people sort of had, and then eventually Roosevelt sort of changes that and makes it the, uh, what is it, the fourth, third, the third Thursday. The third Thursday. third Thursday of, of November, which again, for, and again, I don't want to, you know, I'm in America, and I think American Thanksgiving is the best way. But it does sort of, I was trying to explain to my class at Oxford that basically from this time to the end of the year, Americans are focused on, it's like, it's like kind of us. It's a month, and you've got you've got Thanksgiving, and then you go back for work for two weeks, but maybe don't do too depending on your job. But then Christmas, and then there's New Year's, and it's just like this whole last month of the year is sort of your mind is elsewhere. 
in in different ways. So it is kind of interesting. So, and there are times too that in history where Thanksgiving was not allowed, where people didn't want to have these celebrations and these feasts. So it's kind of fascinating to see how these sort of things sort of bounced around as well. And we also should mention too that there are other countries. You know, there's uh, Brazil has National Thanksgiving Day, which is in August, and and uh, and more. And different countries have these kinds of themes. Uh, but in all of these cases, you know, a lot of it now is for us as Americans, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Um, and then, you know, the mass consumerism, for those of you who don't know, Black Friday is the idea. I mean, there's so much commerce and retail is done from Thanksgiving to Christmas that the Friday after Thanksgiving is when companies get in the black. They go from the red to the black. And so in retail, oh, I just want to say those of you in retail, I love you. Uh, God give you strength and grace in this time. So, but partly we want to do, we want sort of people to remember to give thanks to God. You know, not this just crazy display of consumerism that ends in a Christmas, you know, there's always this balance with kids. And we, Donna, my wife kind of has led us to say, we're going to give, you know, one significant gift to the kids. But, you know, we did, we, we sort of try to balance that out. For example, we give our our largest gift, we always give our largest gift to something in my denomination family called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering for International Missions. We want the largest gift at Christmas to be to the Lord. But that's sort of a statement about consumerism as well. So when we come back, I want you to help us to think through this, right? The heart of the Thanksgiving story is Thanksgiving, but often for us it's Black Friday and more, and this is airing the day after Black Friday. So uh, we're going to address this issue head on. How can we as Christians help people remember the giving thanks to God is a central part of Thanksgiving and should be a central part of our lives? Again, you're listening to Ed Stetzer Live. I'm Ed Stetzer here with Andrew McDonald, my guest. We're talking about Thanksgiving. Hopefully you're having a good, relaxing time. You're out of your turkey coma tryptophan. We'll talk about that. That's a myth, by the way. We're going to continue our conversation with Andrew McDonald in just a moment. Stay with us. Okay, we're back. Ed Stetzer live, having a great time here talking with Andrew McDonald. We're friends, we're colleagues, uh, but we're now Thanksgiving conversationalists. Um, part of what is around this season, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, is uh, really can be a sense of rampant consumerism. So, Andrew, before the before the break, we talked about, and I was going to come back to, how can we as Christians help people remember the giving thanks to God, not just part of Thanksgiving, but part of the focus of our lives. Yeah, I think that that's where the problem of kind of uh, disparaging myth and disparaging the kind of history of it can get a little bit out of hand sometimes, because I think that in this point, story is powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, myth, it, it, the, the way that we talk about history is really powerful. And in American history, this story has proven incredibly powerful at helping people uh, uh, in, uh, embody virtues, uh, develop community respect and love and and service to one another. I think that the ideas of gratitude and community are so central to the Thanksgiving story that I think that it's it's a valuable story to tell. I don't think it's something that we throw out completely because of, of problems with it, but that we try to redeem it and we try to incorporate it. So in the past, in the past, um, 
we look at the 19th century when the Thanksgiving story became incredibly popular. And one of the big reasons for that was that his American writers found in the, histo- in the, the Thanksgiving story uh, a way of teaching important moral lessons. Yeah. They, they, they were able to teach lessons about, around community and service and humility. They were able to point out some of the uh, worrying, troubling problems of materialism and greed. All the way back 150 years ago, they were writing about these uh, pieces. Harper's Ferry, again, had uh, many... Harper's sto- Ferry is a famous magazine. Famous magazine yep. in the 19th century had regular Thanksgiving uh, issues where they would have stories in them uh, around the Thanksgiving theme. And usually they would have one, have a very simple model to them where somebody would uh, have usually be lost, uh, a prodigal son of some kind, and the people who had stayed had been corrupted by some sort of materialism, and the returning prodigal son helps to teach a lesson about humility and service and family, and they reunite, and at the end of it, there's usually a wedding. And so you have these stories. (laughs) I think that's like every Hallmark movie, still some variant to this day. Yeah, Yeah. it's basically 19th century Hallmark movies. Okay, interesting. Um, And so these are incredibly popular. And so when we're talking about it today... Um, helping teach the story, we can get bogged down in some of the historical inaccuracies. We can get, and, and it's important to have those conversations. But the reason why it's proven so popular in teaching in schools is because it helps us convey a very valuable lesson the lessons of service, the lessons of uh, gratitude, of giving thanks. And, and not just giving thanks for what we have. Sometimes that's the mistakes that we make when we go around the table of, it becomes a competition. Oh, I'm giving thanks for my new job. Oh, I'm giving thanks for my new house. Oh, I'm giving... And we wind up in another kind of circle of competition with each other. And instead, when we go back to that letter from Winslow, giving thanks for the plenty that mm. we have. I mean, that's such a big piece of the story and why it vibrate, why it's so vibrant with us even to today. Because what is our plenty? As Christians, our plenty isn't in the material. Our Plenty is in God. Our plenty is in our faith and in our church and in, in, in what God has given to us. And, and again, going to the example of Paul in Philippians, that's the story of where he roots his plenty. And so when we're thinking about pushing back, telling these stories of thanksgiving are important ways of transcending our moment and helping us find some peace that's common to all of us, which is a desire for community, service, giving, um, that's something that's quintessential to the American experience. Yeah, I like that. And, and so one of the things that you've talked about here is you've talked about um, founding myth, which, again, you're an historian, you're talking like an historian. Um, and, of course, we think of like the cherry tree mm-hmm. that, that George Washington uh, cut down. In the original story, he's uh, six years old, you know, he gets his hatchet and damages his dad's tree, and he says, I cannot tell a lie. I did cut it with my hatchet, and there's variants of that story. Uh, but, I mean, the reality is, is most historians would say these stories didn't really happen. Now, the Pilgrim story did happen, though probably some of it is embellished or maybe filled in. We don't know the details. We know that Winslow said the Indians were there. We know that there was plenty. We know there was a feast and there was fowl. Uh, there was those kinds of things. So explain to us a little more about what the uh, how the myth matters. It certainly helps us to see Washington as a person of integrity and hopefully reflects on the importance of presidents having integrity and being people of the truth, which hasn't always been the truth in our nation's history. But um, but that's kind of a 
kind of a theme and an example. So how does what what is a myth to an historian, a founding myth to an historian? It doesn't mean it's not true, but could be part of it true, could be not. What does it mean? Yeah, it means that there's layers of meaning to it. There's the it, it, there's the historical layer that's the truth of what happened, and that's obviously the building block, the foundation of any kind of story. But then there's layers of meaning that go on top of that in terms of how society has constructed it over time. And when we look at Thanksgiving, it's such a unique and, and interesting story within American history because each successive generation has added a layer of meaning to it that's their own. And so we arrive at it today not just by getting back to the history, but looking at the kind of the pathway that it has traveled through Washington, up through uh, Ma- Madison. and With Thanksgiving itself, like Washington yeah, the, himself the, has this proclamation. Yeah, the, the, right. wa- between, between Washington or between the initial Continental Congress that issues a proclamation in 1777, uh, all the way up through Lincoln's proclamation, um, there are over 10 proclamations that presidents give. And the funny thing about them is I don't think not, not one of them falls on when we would actually put See, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Except for Lincoln's. Yeah, like, which, of course, is the most important. Which is the most important. As, as the people who enjoy turkey. So there were 10. So and 10, like, proclamations of Thanksgiving that had dates, or do they all just have proclamations, or was it a mix of that? Because I know that I read that there were a couple of type dates of times of celebration of Thanksgiving, and then Roosevelt sort of zeroed it in onto that as well. What more can you tell us? Yeah, so I mean, Madison issues a proclamation in May, uh, and then another one uh, the next year in April. That's wrong. Um, I we mean, know Thanksgiving only takes place in November, but go ahead. Yeah, except <laughs> in Canada, which is October. So they all do, and so they're giving these prox- proclamations of Thanksgiving, and then it settles in. So, and your you know your focus of history has been particularly in the 1900s. So then that becomes this. I mean, it really takes off at that point. And again, there's an important distinction that happens before Lincoln kind of merges them into one. But really, at this point, there's in the early 19th century, there's two uh, Thanksgivings um, uh, in, in the way that we would think about them. There's the Pilgrim story, which is heavily associated with found, uh, Forefathers Day, which is, again, December 20th, 21st, 22nd, depending which on I, Which I've never heard about this until you told me about this. So okay. it's called Forefathers Day. Okay. Forefathers Day, which was celebrated very what was way more popular in New England. Um, New England expatriates who would move out west, who would move down south, they would celebrate Forefathers Day. They would not celebrate Thanksgiving. Interesting. And so this was the story of the Pilgrims. This was when they would talk about the landing on Plymouth Rock, because this is literally the the anniversary of them landing right. on Plymouth Rock. Right. And so uh, oftentimes the celebration of Thanksgiving wasn't attached to the Pilgrims. It was just attached to the idea of giving thanks. It was a very spiritual, religious holiday. And in fact, that's what gets some of the presidents into trouble in the early 19th century because it was this separation of church and state and whether or not they can make this proclamation. Uh, Lincoln eventually kind of throws all of that out in only the way Lincoln can and just completely merges kind of the civil religion and giving thanks to God. Um, So where was Madison and Adams kind of hedge a little bit, Lincoln just dives right in. Um, But... Throughout one, the, one of the reasons we love Lincoln, but it's so, one of the so reasons. It's just very clear. I mean, there is a a sense that it's a Christian celebration that Lincoln pretty explicitly connects it to. Yes, Lincoln is very very explicit yeah, about that. Yeah. But through this time, it starts to merge together by the middle of the 19th century when you're starting to have these two stories come into one, and and ultimately. The, the the stories of Thanksgiving, like I said, didn't often center around the pilgrims. It often just centered around these stories of prodigal sons and 
the virtues of kind of Republican, Victorian era uh, domesticity and frugality and, and all these different things that they were using to teach them. And so it starts to become much, much more popular, mainly because of the great, uh, kind of, well, the great American poet Longfellow. Right. So uh, um, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow writes a uh, a poem. Um, his most famous poem that he he dedicates at this time earlier is the the story of Paul Revere, of course. But he writes a poem about the beginning, the the founding of the the Plymouth Rock, and that really ignites the imagination of Americans around the Pilgrims, and that's where you start to see them start to go together. Uh, Longfellow himself. Um, an interesting person in American history, for sure. But he he ultimately uh, shifted the focus from the Pilgrim story, from the heroic struggle to achieve God's will, to one of romance, family, gratitude, making it far more marketable for during the the era of Victorian morality. So all of a sudden, the the kind of the dour Pilgrims. Uh, shivering in their huts get replaced with kind of the dashing and charismatic pilgrims that we might associate. And you see a huge shift in American history at this point. Uh, Harper's uh, Weekly, again, their their photos for Thanksgiving be- subtly begin to shift in the middle of the century from uh, pictures of people eating dinner in American history to pictures of the pilgrim. So all of a sudden you're starting to see a blurring of the two holidays at this point. Fascinating. I want to hear more, but we got to take a quick moment and we're going to continue our conversation with Andrew McDonald in just a second. Okay, we're back. Our final segment with Andrew McDonald. Um, okay, you were just talking about this, uh, some of this retelling or rethinking of how the history work, and Miles Standish comes to mind. So tell us a little bit about how that poem, that retelling, turns these people who were maybe struggling, cold, religious, very Christianly committed, to some sort of other sort of fantastical telling. And Miles Standish is key to that. Tell us about that. Yeah. So Longfellow publishes Miles, The Courtship of Miles Standish in 1858, and it immediately just sells like crazy. And not only in America, but also in England. It, it, it gets printed in England and it sells 10,000 copies in a day. Hmm. It's, and it's, it's, it sells over 25,000 copies in Boston in, in, I think, in a, only a few days. It's just incredibly popular. In fact, um, what, but but while while Longfellow is known for his kind of his his verse and his space in American history, he's not exactly known for his historical accuracy. <laughs> and so one of his later contemporaries notes that it was Longfellow's disciplined meter and undisciplined history that launched both the Pilgrims and uh, Paul Revere both into immor- uh, immoral- immortality. And so you have Longfellow just completely solidifies the pilgrims as these heroes associated with Thanksgiving. And that's what generally leads to uh, the pilgrims uh, being associated with the Thanksgiving story. Uh, that then becomes codified much more in the 20th century as it starts to become introduced into children's public school teaching in the 1920s and the 1930s. It becomes a core piece of uh, public school curriculum. And as any as with anything that's in the public school system, eventually that kind of then translates into broader culture. And secularizes too, which is interesting. Yes. Of course, um, the most important telling of this Thanksgiving is 
a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. <laughs> and Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving was actually based on the uh, the Standish, uh, the long follow. So, so it's fascinating to see how, I mean, much of what I would think about Thanksgiving is really based on a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving as well. So sometimes we end up with a sanitized, uh, now again, keep in mind that this, this show is is playing after Thanksgiving, but we end up with a sanitized version, a de-Christianized version of Thanksgiving. And maybe that was your experience on, on Thursday. And um, But we're now looking ahead into Christmas season. And my desire is, is that we don't have a sanitized, um, you know, de-religious. I mean, this is ultimately pointing us now. They were thankful, and uh, you tied into Philippians beautifully. Uh, they were thankful to the Lord, and now we're in the holiday season. From Thanksgiving, Christmas to New Year, we're in the holiday season as well. So how can we remind people, uh, starting with Thanksgiving, then pointing into Christmas, uh, maybe parts of the Thanksgiving story we gloss over, they need to be reminded, that we need to recognize but go from there and ultimately point us to Christmas and the work of Christ. Yeah, this wouldn't be a problem if you had Canadian Thanksgiving, which is in October, which this gives you fair. enough of this a break to get right into the Christmas. Bitterness. There's enough of a se- celebration uh, situation there. Most Canadians already have their trees by now. That's true. Um, we but, actually put ours up on the day before this airs, on Friday after Thanksgiving, the way it should be. If you put it up before that, it's too soon. This is the day to do it. Yeah, my wife would have a Christmas tree up year-round, just constantly <laughs> new trees being cycled in. Nice. Um, but... It's it's a good question. It's a good question in terms of how do we uh, re-Christianize? How do we uh, do, uh, advance the gospel, use this celebration? I think one of the key pieces is that, uh, going back to the piece about American Thanksgiving being a quintessential American holiday, it is so interesting because... Thanksgiving is is weirdly at this Venn diagram of a divided and polarized world of it's widely recognized as a good. Uh, there's nobody out there that doesn't. I mean, whether or not you're watching football or you're engaging with people, maybe relatives of yours that are on the other side of the political aisle, all of us recognize that giving thanks is a good thing. Mm. It's good for us. It's good for our souls. It's good for our relationships. And that we recognize that community is a good thing. That's why we're getting in the cars and driving really far in the next couple of days here, because community and family is a is a good thing. And so as we're as you, as you're going about doing those things, keep that at the center. Keep that peace. This and and help people understand uh, by modeling to them your own gratitude. I think that's in its history when it's done well. The Thanksgiving story has been one that has helped people look beyond themselves and beyond the kind of the the, the difficulties of their culture. Uh, today we're dealing with polarization. Today we're dealing with politicization. It helps us look past those things and instead look to how can we transcend that hostility and anger to care for one another. And it, it, in a culture that doesn't have a lot of touchstone points anymore, in a culture that where we don't have a lot of things of what does it mean to be American. Thanksgiving somehow has transcended all that, and it's still something that we have that it unites us when we just got over a very divisive election, and it's a time when there's not a lot that we have together. So Thanksgiving remains one of those things that we actually do have together. So avoid those articles that tell you, here's how you can convince your grandmother to be a Democrat, or here's how you can convince your niece to be a Republican. Avoid those articles. Instead, go into it asking, how can I serve people in this time? And how can I express true gratitude? Not as a 
fake ploy to try to uh, one-up other people by what I have as opposed to what I have, they have, but help them understand what truly is your plenty. And then listen. Listen for what is their plenty. Listen for what they're saying and what they're not saying. And then pray. Pray for what they have. Pray for what you have. Pray and give thanks. God is glorified when we give thanks. It's one of the greatest pieces of the New Testament. Paul calls us to rejoice and to give thanks. This is an opportunity for us to practice that spiritual discipline of giving thanks. It'll do your heart well. One of my seminary professors taught me that one of the most profound things that he did and that transformed his life was to give thanks even for the small things, the green lights, the hot coffees, the um, warm fires, everything giving thanks. You'll be shocked at how much it transforms your soul and transforms the souls of those around you. Mm. Living a life of thanksgiving. Give thanks always. You know, we see passages like that come to mind. So, you know, we got we got about a couple minutes left. And so what would your exhortation be to folks who may, you know, coming out of Thanksgiving, maybe it was a tough time. Maybe there's family arguments. And, I, and it's not maybe. I mean, that happened to a whole lot of people, right? So people have been, there's been articles, how to get along with your family at Thanksgiving. Um, how would you, because I love that letter where he gave thanks for the plenty, knowing what they had been through. So what advice would you give uh, to the person who's maybe had a tough year, maybe had a tough week, to continue to find a place and a way to give thanks in the midst of that? There's always something to give thanks for. And I know that that sounds trite and that sounds hard. And, and, and honestly, when I call it a spiritual discipline, I'm being completely serious. It is something that takes discipline to do. Um, but again, it's something that if you practice it, if you slowly start to do it and you start to model it to other people, that's when you're able to really benefit from it. So I would say to people who are coming out of a season of difficulty, and most people are. You and I work at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. We have the pleasure of working with pastors and church leaders, and it's it's amazing how difficult this season has been for many of them. Many of the pastors are just holding on. Uh, there's a person I follow on social media, a pastor, and he tweets every Monday, pastor, don't quit. It's good advice on Monday. And it's a great, it's great advice. And so Thanksgiving is a really hard season. For pastors on Monday, that's for the general population on Black Friday or on the Monday after Thanksgiving. Don't quit. Don't quit on the Monday after Thanksgiving. The story of the incarnation, the story of Christ is coming. The Advent story of Christ entering into our darkness, into our season of, of complete emptiness is coming. Advent is on the horizon. We give thanks for what God has done in the past, but we look forward to the Advent with hope. Uh, and, and I would encourage people to set your eyes. If, if Thanksgiving, if giving thanks was too hard this year, and I completely understand that, set your eyes to the Advent. Set your eyes to the coming of Christ into that darkness and pray with faith that he would arrive. Um, and, and for people out there who have been able to give thanks, Look for people in your communities that can't. Look for people in your communities that can't get over that hurdle and help them by giving thanks for them, helping model true gratitude. Good deal. Andrew McDonald's been our guest. Thank you for him. Thank you for our team at Moody Radio, my producer, Karen Hendren, engineer, Courtney Young, and Cassidy Simchek, who's actually been helping us out here as engineer today as well. Thanks for listening. Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. 